Well, thank you, Josh. Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me before, my name's Tom. Uh, and we're going to reflect a bit on this passage and think about what this means for our lives. Let's pray as we come to reflect on God's word. Loving Father, we thank you that uh, as you acted back then to rescue your people, uh, you are still at work today. Um, you are at work rescuing your people and looking after them. And we pray, Father, that today uh, you would remind us of your power and your goodness and that you would help us to increase in faithfulness and courage as we uh, seek to serve you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, friends, as we come to Daniel 3, I think it's easy for us to think that this is very far removed uh, from our world and our experience. Um, I'm pretty sure we're not under uh, any tyrannical dictatorship right now. We're certainly not being forced uh, to bow down uh, to any golden statues, at least I hope you're not, and come and talk to me afterwards if you are. Um, we, again, hopefully are not facing the threat of being thrown into a fiery furnace either. And so, as we read this, we can feel very far removed and think that this is very unlike our situation today. And whilst this is true, I think we need to remember that the pressure to conform is certainly alive and kicking today. And I would say here in the West, this pressure to conform is possibly stronger than it has been in a long time. I think we like to pride ourselves on being a culture that doesn't censor, that doesn't tell people what they must think or say or do. And yet increasingly we do find that we live in a culture where people who do stand up and say something or, or even, um, even say that they think something uh, that, that is outside, I guess, acceptable, uh, acceptable thoughts these days, uh, do find themselves in a lot of trouble. And this is certainly no less true for Christians. Uh, whilst the threat that we face may not be yet uh, as serious as we see in Daniel 3, uh, we do face a serious pressure to conform, to conform to a culture that is increasingly becoming less Christian and less um, that tolerates Christian views far less as well. So, as we come to Daniel 3 this morning, I want us to think about how we as Christians can resist any pressure that we might face uh, to conform to the society and culture around us. I thought it might be helpful to first consider the sort of pressure that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were facing uh, under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Empire of Babylon. Uh, it's not exactly clear why King Nebuchadnezzar built this statue, but I think that the most likely reason was to promote unity within his kingdom. If you remember in Daniel chapter 2, uh, Daniel has given King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream. And he's told him that uh, his kingdom, the kingdom of gold, uh, is a kingdom that will not last. And so suddenly, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's probably feeling a little 
uncertain about his future. And so what does he do? He creates this great statue, this great golden statue, and its purpose is most likely not so much about religion itself, uh, but more a project of mass social conformity. His response to hearing about uh, this dream is not to humbly submit himself to God's rule, but to prop up his own rule by creating a statue and saying, everyone in my empire must worship this statue. And I'd say that this project of social conformity was about strengthening that kingdom so that it wouldn't fall. And in order to make this program a success, uh, we read in this passage that, that Nebuchadnezzar exerts great pressure on all the people in his kingdom uh, to conform. So first of all, we note that there is political pressure. Uh, the order to worship the statue comes from what was one of the most powerful dictators of the ancient world. Uh, Babylon was a huge empire uh, that had enormous power. And the king of that empire is ordering that people must do uh, what he says. This is enormous political pressure. And of course, this is political pressure that we can face today as Christians. Uh, earlier this year in Australia, I'm, I'm from Australia, so I like to keep up with Australian news. Uh, and in Australia, in the state of Victoria, um, there was some sweeping laws that came in against uh, what's called conversion therapy. Uh, and these laws uh, were so broad that it is now illegal in the state of Victoria uh, to offer to pray for someone who is struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction. And you can imagine the issue that that can create for Christians and for, for people in Christian ministry. Uh, just the other week, they introduced a new law in Victoria making it illegal for Christian schools and other faith-based organisations, uh, not including churches, uh, to refuse to employ someone based on their sexual orientation. So you can see that there is going to be increasing pressure, political pressure, uh, legal pressure um, on Christians, at least in Australia. And I imagine that what's happening there uh, is not going to be too unlike what will happen here as well. Second, there was social pressure. Every nation, every people of every language uh, were commanded to follow what King Nebuchadnezzar said to do. And we live in a culture today uh, that is seeking to create social conformity uh, that punishes anyone who pushes back or thinks differently. Um, I think this is really amplified by the rise of social media. You know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, I'm sure you've all got accounts on all of these uh, things. But what, what social media does is that it allows people to, to police thought on a global scale. And there is a real social pressure now to conform, the threat of being cancelled, the threat of losing one's reputation or standing in society, the threat of losing one's friends. And when it feels like everyone around you has to think and believe the same thing and is terrified of doing or saying anything different, there is a real social pressure to conform, isn't there? Our third, and I think this is an interesting one, we, we can note in this passage a cultural pressure that is being placed. Uh, do you notice, and this is repeated again and again, how it was music that was used to call people to worship. Poor Josh had to keep on reciting all of those instruments. Uh, that, but it was music that was used to call people to worship. Now, why is that? Well, it's because Nebuchadnezzar was doing something that was very common in the ancient world, and that is he integrates the arts into his program of religious social 
conformity. And this is incredibly effective. If you can integrate the arts into your program of social conformity, it places a lot of pressure on people uh, to conform. I wonder if uh, any of you ever saw that show, Will and Grace. It's quite dated now, uh, but it was about two uh, charismatic gay men and a woman. Um, and it really paved the way for changing the way that people uh, thought about um, uh, things like same-sex marriage. Uh, in 2012, uh, in a comment about same-sex marriage, Vice President, then Vice President Joe Biden, now President, uh, but then Vice President Joe Biden said, I think Will and Grace probably did more to educate the American public than almost anything anybody has ever done so far. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? That's the power of the arts. Not only to change people's minds, but also to create a social cohesion. Now, people are attracted to the arts, and in turn they become attracted to the ideas attached to them. Now, please don't misunderstand me, that's not to say the arts are bad. I think what we can see as, as Christians is that they can be used for, for great good as well. It's simply to say that the arts are powerful. And if you can engage people on a cultural level, then you can put a lot of pressure on people uh, to conform. And then finally, and most obviously in this passage, we see there is violent pressure. Those who refuse to worship the statue are thrown into a blazing furnace. And I think we really should thank God uh, that we do not face this sort of pressure here in this country, um, but we should be under no illusion that this doesn't happen in our world today. Christians continue to face the threat of violence and death for their faith around the world. The organisation Open Doors reports that 309 million Christians live in countries where they face extreme levels of persecution. Uh, that is one in eight Christians worldwide. One in six in Africa, two, in far, two out of five in Asia. And in the period between October 2019 and September 2020, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith, 4,488 churches were attacked, 4,277 Christians were unjustly arrested or imprisoned, 1,710 Christians were abducted for faith-related reasons. The worst countries are North Korea first, then Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and then Pakistan. The list goes on. Nigeria, I think, is ninth. China is now 20th. Now, this pressure hasn't come to our shores yet, but make no mistake, it is real. And there are many Christians, many Christians around the world who face the pressure of, uh, or the threat of death for their faith. And so what I want us to do in our time remaining is I want us to think through how we can resist this pressure to conform. I hope, I hope you see that this pressure is real and will probably be growing in the future. How do we as Christians resist this pressure to conform? And that's why Daniel chapter 3 is such a helpful passage. Because in this part of God's word, we are equipped with the tools that we need, the tools that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego drew from in order to resist this sort of pressure. Uh, so let's have a look. I want us to note four things uh, from this passage. And most of them really come from verses 16 to 18, uh, in their reply to Nebuchadnezzar. So let's have a look at that, those verses again. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What's the first lesson we learn from here? If we want to resist the pressure to conform, the first thing we must do is submit to God's authority, not man's. Notice what they say to Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. See, these guys submitted to a greater authority that was above Nebuchadnezzar. They were under God's authority, which meant that ultimately they did not see themselves as answerable to Nebuchadnezzar. They were answerable to God. And so they say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. And we see this with Jesus, don't we? In Matthew 27, Pilate asks him how he answers the charge against him. And Jesus, and, and we're told Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge. See, Jesus didn't answer Pilate or the Sanhedrin because he only answers to his father. Now, please don't mishear me. This doesn't mean that we should never submit to human authorities uh, or that we should be rebellious. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that we do submit ourselves to the authorities that are put in place because these authorities have been put in place by God. However, when the authorities that are over us command us to do something that God himself says that we must not do, or when they command us to not do something that God says we must do, at that point we are no longer answerable to these authorities. And we say, actually, we, we are answerable to a higher authority. We answer to God. Um, I think one of the things we need to understand in this changing culture that we live in is that someone like me, as a Christian in the future, is going to have one of the easiest jobs and the reason for this is, is because as a minister, I don't really answer to many people above me, if you think about it like that. Uh, I don't have a boss over me that isn't a Christian. Uh, really, the, the only thing that I answer to is the law. And I have to say, religious protections for the church and its ministers will be the very last thing to go, if at all they do go. The people who are in the front line, the people who, are, who will face pressure first, uh, are not people like me, but people like you. Because you will probably find yourself under authorities that may pressure you to conform. I think the most likely place that this will happen is in the workplace, where you may be expected to sign onto their corporate values or discrimination policy that will go against something that God says. And there may come a time when push comes to shove, when you can't in good faith do what they are telling you to do. And at that point, you need to remember, actually, I submit to a higher authority. I want to serve my boss. I want to submit to your authority. I want to be the best worker that I can be in this business or this company. But ultimately, I don't answer to you. I answer to God. And what he says has to come first. That's the first thing we say. The second thing we see, if we want to resist the pressure to conform, is that we need to trust in the God who saves Notice what they say in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
they were able to resist the pressure from King Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as he was, because they knew someone more powerful than him. They knew that God was more powerful than the king. He was more powerful than a blazing furnace. And do you know what the king says in verse 15? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Their reply is, our God. Our God, the true God, the God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one for whom nothing is impossible. And we see that in the rest of the passage, isn't it? I mean, the way that God turns things around is so incredible. You know, God doesn't just rescue them, but He rescues them in such a miraculous way that then Nebuchadnezzar makes a new religious law, except this law now makes it uh, illegal for anyone to say anything bad about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's God. He completely reverses the situation. That's the power of our God to save to completely change the situation for his glory. And of course, that's what we see with Jesus, isn't it? That as his enemies nail him to a cross and jeer at him, as he dies and and everybody thinks all is lost, God can use that moment to completely reverse the situation and have victory over Satan, sin and death. We worship the God who saves. That's what gives us courage. Uh, In 2012, Bashir Muhammad joined the Nusra Front, which was a terrorist group that was seeking to establish an extremist state in Syria. And the group was known for its extreme brutality. Uh, Although eventually he became disillusioned with the group and moved to Turkey, but still a devout uh, Muslim. Soon, though, his wife fell seriously ill. And he was on a phone call to his cousin Ahmed, uh, who lived in Canada. And he discovered to his shock that his cousin had converted to Christianity. His cousin asked if he could place the phone close to his wife so that his prayer group could sing and pray for her. And within a few days, she was healed. He was shocked. His cousin recommended that he go see a Christian uh, evangelical missionary in Istanbul, uh, whom he met, and eventually he converted to Christianity. A terrorist who was bent on people, on killing people, converted to follow Jesus. This is the God who saves. This is the God who can turn events around. It's the God who brings Jesus back from the dead. The God who turns Saul into Paul. Now, we're not guaranteed this in our life, and it's important that we understand this, but we do know that God will ultimately rescue us. He will ultimately save us. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't hope and pray that he will work in the here and now, to radically transform a situation for his glory. You should pray that your boss, who's looking to fire you because of your beliefs, would actually become a Christian and start running a Bible study before work. Pray that that neighbour who doesn't like you because you're one of those annoying Christians might actually give you an opportunity to love and care for them and see the love of Christ in your life. God is the God who can save and turn things around. Thirdly, if we want to resist pressure to conform, we need to value God more than our own life. Note what they say after this. Even if he does not, that is, even if God does not save us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
They want King Nebuchadnezzar to know that even if God doesn't save them, they're not going to obey him. Why? Because they would rather die than give up God. Now that sounds extreme at first, but it's actually an incredibly rational decision when you think about it. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. When you think about it clearly, it's actually a simple decision to make. It's much smarter to stick with God, who can give you everlasting life, than to stick with those who only threaten to take your life in the here and now. Uh, I'm studying at Clare College up at Cambridge, and uh, most of the students at my college think that the most famous alumnus of the college is David Attenborough, but I disagree. I think our most famous alumnus is Hugh Latimer. Uh, Hugh Latimer uh, was uh, an evangelical um, um, reformer. Uh, He went on to be a bishop and a chaplain uh, in Edward VI's court. And in two weeks' time, actually, on October 16th, uh, we remember his martyrdom uh, when he was burnt at the stake as one of the Oxford martyrs. Actually, it's funny, when I was thinking of where to go um, uh, to do my PhD, should I go to Oxford or Cambridge, um, one of my lecturers at Moore College said, well, Cambridge gave us the reformers and Oxford burnt them. So, uh, But what, what's interesting is that when Mary ascended to the throne, Latimer probably had a chance to escape. While he was imprisoned, he saw many Protestants around him renouncing their faith and defecting. But when his trial came, he gave a blistering attack on Rome and defended the true faith. He was willing to die for God because he knew that God was worth more than his life. And you know that passage in uh, Hebrews that says, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I think that's us. We haven't found ourselves in that situation yet and thank God for that. That's not something we should look for or ever welcome but we should be ready for it do you believe that god is worth more than your life are you ready to die for god the last thing that we see in this passage that will help equip us to resist pressure to conform is that we must know that god will be with us in the fire what we see in our passage, isn't it? As the advisors look into the fire, they see a fourth man who looks like a son of the gods. Now, whether this is some pre-incarnate form of Jesus or simply an angel, the point is that God is with them. God is comforting them. I think it's really important for us to understand God doesn't stop them from being thrown into the fire but he is with them in the fire. That's what God promises in Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God will be with you. So what Jesus promises, Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think of Acts 7, when Stephen, our first martyr, is being stoned and he cries out, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
God will be with you in the fire. Uh, my family and I are starting to think about our return to Australia, which will most likely be um, sometime next year. Uh, and it looks like that we are most likely going to end up living in one of the most uh, progressive suburbs in Sydney. And we know a little bit about the school uh, that our kids will most likely go to because we know other Christians uh, whose kids go there. It's a fine school, uh, but it is very strongly ideologically driven uh, by progressive ideas. And uh, we've even heard stories of Christian kids uh, being bullied and given a hard time there uh, because of what they believe. Things like they didn't wear purple on Purple Day, that sort of thing. Um, and that can be hard as a parent. You know, the, we, we go to a very nice little village school now, and I think we've been spoiled for that, uh, uh, really. Uh, our kids love it so much. And you only want the best for your kids. You only want the best for your grandkids, don't you? And so a big part of me wants to shield them from that. You know, I want to protect them from that world. Now, obviously, we need to be wise when we, in what we expose our kids to and when. But at the same time, I want to equip my children for the world that they're going to live in one day. And what I need to teach my kids is not to run away from the fire, but that God will be with them in the fire. That Jesus will be with them when they're being bullied. That Jesus is with them if they lose friends or are excluded. That the Spirit will give them courage to stand, words to speak, strength to go on. We need to help them to see that. And we need to see that for ourselves as well. And this is how, friends, we can build the courage to resist against the pressure to conform. Let's pray. Loving Father, we do thank you for this passage that is so far removed and yet has so many timeless truths as well. We pray, Lord, that there would be none of us who would ever bow to pressure to turn away from you. We pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to stand firm in our faith and to continue to honour you no matter what. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.